0: grew up with severe major depression and lots of suicidal ideation. And I thought my life would be great if this depression was gone. Everything in my life would be perfect if this damn depression would go away. And it turned out, no, the depression was protecting me from things in my early life that had been severely depressing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, early trauma that was so kind of out of, you know, off the hook that my little organism couldn't handle it and so depression was something that was trying to take me back there and try to to see if we could fix it see if we could do anything right but yeah so depression is it's something that in the modern world we don't have time for
1: welcome to the 1000 day sober podcast my name is lee davey i am not an alcoholic i refuse to be anonymous i am someone who is alcohol free as fuck and i spend every waking moment of my life helping other people be the same and live a self-led life to live a very conscious life. And that is what I'm here today to do yet again. Okay. Um, just want to say an apology for all of you who have been waiting for the latest episode. Like, where is this guy? What's he doing? Um, I've been traveling around the world a little bit. So I've been in Manila in the Philippines. I've been in North Korea, North Cyprus. So I've, um, my, um, My focus has been elsewhere, we will say, but I'm back and um, ready to give you some great podcasts, starting today with Carla McLaren. Carla has been on the show before. Uh, She's an author and researcher. Um, She's an emotions and empathy expert, and she's the developer of the EmpathyAcademy.org learning site where you can develop a robust emotional skills and healthy empathy in a welcoming online community. Um, Her applied work, which is called Dynamic Emotional Integrations, or DEI for short, is taught at the Empathy Academy, and you can find licensed DEI professionals all over the world that can help you uh, with your work. Uh, The reason that I got Carla on, I mean, I've had her on before because The Language of Emotions uh, is one of the greatest books I've ever read, Um, learning how important it is to... Welcome to love and experience all of my emotions was a a quite profound aspect of my journey in life. And I really credit Carla for that. So she's been on before and uh, we're having her on again because her book is being revised. There's a new chapter on anxiety, lots of other uh, wonderful things that she's doing with the new book. And it's going to come out on June 27th. Okay, So uh, make sure that you check the show notes to uh, find your way to her website, or email me at thestridemethod at if you get a little bit lost. And I'll put you into touch with her. But make sure you get that book, Language of Emotions. It is an amazing book. And Carla McLaren herself is an amazing human being. She has such an infectious, beautiful personality. Uh, she also shares uh, her story today a little bit and is, goes really vulnerable. And I really appreciate her for that because you know, there's a lot of power and strength that we can draw from people who have been through uh, really really difficult situations and got out the other end it can be really inspiring for us all okay so i really hope you enjoyed today's uh, conversation with carl mclaren if you really like it please rate and review the show as always or email me at com uh, to um, let me know what you think and also head to thestrivemethod.com uh, to sign up to our email list and uh, for doing that, we will give you our 100% free mini training course at the Crush Your Alcohol Cravings Overnight Cheat Code. So if you're struggling with cravings or you're worried about having alcohol cravings, if you stop, uh, then get over to thestrivemethod.com, sign up for our free training course, uh, and we'll help you to crush those alcohol cravings overnight. Okay? All right. With much love and ado, I'll shut the hell up and keep you Give you uh, the amazing, the wonderful, beautiful Carla McLaren, Carla. It is good to see you. You know, you are um without doubt, one of my favorite guests. And I, I don't say that I don't say that lightly. You um, I mean, I read your book, obviously, and then I was like, oh my God, this person's amazing. But then when you meet the person and talk to the person, it was like you took it to another level. And, and I think what it was for me was your energy. You know, I was talking the other day to my wife, actually, about um, how people have different energies. And they yeah. they either draw you in or they repel you away. And you you really draw people in. So I just want to say that on the outset. How are you doing? Thank
0: you. Thank you. I'm doing well. Uh, getting ready for the new... Uh, release of the language of emotions. I was able to update it, thank everything that I could. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Wow, I'm excited. So it's actually uh, quite serendipitous because um I have like I use this um tool called Asana that keeps me organized and I have a like a podcast guest list on there, and I wrote, I need to speak to Kara again about a few different emotions that have come up in my in my life or my community. And then I got the email from the person who's representing you saying that you're you're revising a book. I mean, it's amazing. Like it's smashed to pieces, the version I've got. (laughs) But I mean, this is such a tomb and you're and you're actually adding to it. I mean, that's amazing because it's not only a big book, the writing's really small. It must have taken (laughs) you so long to write it. Uh, I fought with them about
0: getting the writing bigger. Right. right. I've heard that before. I was like, you've got to make this more readable. So it's still big, but now it's more readable.
1: <laughs> ah, so tell me so what is going to be different in the newer version for, for fans of yours who are listening to this?
0: Well, first, anxiety has its own chapter. And wow. before I saw anxiety as a problem. So I just didn't even know what I was talking about. And now, <laughs> now <laughs> I'm much, much better with anxiety. And many of the, of the emotions, one of the things that we do in this work is I have questions to ask each emotion that leans into what the emotion does. And I realized some of my questions just weren't good. They just, they didn't grasp the entire work of the emotion. So a lot of the questions have been updated and that made mm. me feel really good. Also, I, I went and ran cause I don't have the new copies yet. They come out in June and I mm. went and ran to my version of the book that looks like yours and I was looking up jealousy and envy, and it was one chapter, and they had one uh, question to share between them. And I went, Oh, that is bad. I didn't
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anxiety has its own chapter. I'm just getting your book out now. Where is anxiety? Here? There's no
0: chapter on anxiety. Oh,
1: okay. there isn't what? one. Oh, because you so because you didn't. I that's, didn't.
0: I didn't see it as an emotion. I saw it as a problem. And wow, that's not good.
1: It was part of fear, right?
0: Yeah, I it saw it as a fear. problem with fear. It was very just, you know, get a hold of yourself. Very bad. Very bad so,
1: work on my part. So, <laughs> so, what's your what's your view? What's your view on anxiety now? Then, and um, why the change?
0: Well, I've done a lot of work on anxiety since then. Actually. um, A couple of months after the original Language of Emotions came out, I heard a psychologist named Mary Lemia on a radio show talking about anxiety, and all the lights went off. I went, Mary, oh my word, you've got this. And she and others see it as the emotion of motivation. So anxiety gets you prepared for the future, and anxiety helps you meet your deadlines and finish your tasks, which means it's, it's often a very energetic emotion and because it's about the future it kind of leans you forward and it can be ungrounding right mm. just in its very nature because you can't your body can't go to the future but anxiety is thinking about the future and so for many people that level of activity and, and you know activation can kind of tip them into panic can tip them into a more intense emotion. So, a Mm. lot of times when people talk about anxiety or anxiety attacks or anxiety disorder, they're talking about panic, which is the emotion that helps save your life when you're in danger. Mm. So, what I say about anxiety is it's about the, the future. It's about getting everything done and getting yourself organized. If you feel any sense of dread or danger, panic is there to help, right? And that's a very different way to talk about panic. You would say, you know, if you feel dread or danger, damn it, panic is there and you've got to stop that. But to work, you know, side by side with the emotions and realize that they're a part of our basic capacity to think and make meaning rather than some, you know, weird thing from our, you know, ancient past, right? That they're really important to us today. Yeah.
1: Well, this is, this is really timely, actually. We can, uh, I always like to be this podcast giddy pig so let's let's be this podcast guinea pig when it comes to anxiety, actually. So I knew I had I knew I had a working trip coming up. like i was I was planning to go to Cyprus on the sixth of May, and I was going to be there for like three weeks, three to four weeks shooting um a documentary, right? And documentary filmmaking and TV production. I would say that I it's still, I'm still a baby in that field, right? So I I knew it was coming. And so, but I didn't really kind of like, I kept saying like, I'll prepare for it. I'll prepare for it. I'll prepare for it. I knew it was coming. It's coming closer. And then I get a call and it's like, okay, Lee, we're going to Manila before Cyprus. And we will go like, I'm going tomorrow, right? Like, so I was told at the beginning of the week, Lee, we're going to Manila on Friday. We're going to interview this uh, this really this guy who like never gets interviewed. Get ready to go, and all of a sudden, I'm just like, "Oh no, no!" So now I've like, this is what goes on through my head, and then over to you to kind of analyze and ask questions. Right? This is what goes on. It's like, oh my god, I got to prepare for the trip. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm way behind on it. Oh, my God, uh, I have all these other commitments and all these other businesses that I need to tie those loose ends up before I go. Oh, my God, um, I need to be a husband in that week leading up to going. And not only do I need to be a husband, I need to be a 10x husband because I'm going to go away for a a month. (gasps) And then I need to be a dad. But I don't just need to be a dad. I need to be a 10x dad because my child is not going to see me for a month. That means I need to spend double more time with her. But I can't spend that time with her because I actually need that time to prepare to go away. Oh, my God. And then I honestly, what happens is uh, my hypothyroid kicks in. I get super (laughs) lethargic. I got a backache at the moment. I'm not sleeping. I got a headache. (laughs) What is going on there, Carla? (laughs) You know, what what is going on? Ask me some questions, analyze me. What is going on
0: there? (laughs) Well, what I'm hearing is two really important emotions, anxiety, right? You know about anxiety. It's like, what am I doing? How do I plan? What do I need to get done? What's happening? But there's also shame in there, which is an emotion that gets a lot of bad press, but it's work is to help you live up to the agreements that you've made, right? Mm. So you're looking at your dad agreement, you're looking at your your husband agreement, you're looking at everything and holding yourself to a really, really high standard, right? And then your body's like, nope. <laughs> 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 also like your, your body, there's pain. Your body says, No, this is too much, my friend. This is too much. So there's a way that you know you're you're moving forward with lots and of, of intensity and self. Um, you're really watching yourself carefully, like what do I have to do? Who do I have to become? That sort of thing. You're putting a lot of tension on yourself. You're putting a lot of expectation, which can come from shaming messages from the past about how perfect you have to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just interesting that your body has said, nah, (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to play that
1: game. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You you just, you go, you go think what you think, but I've got a backache right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. So I it's, think, it's really yeah, it's like your in. body's
0: calling you to a reality check, right? So what can what can a human being actually do? What can what can you actually do as a human being, given well, that everything changed?
1: When I I mean, I when I just told you what was going on for me, I was expecting you to touch on anxiety. What I wasn't expecting was you to touch on shame. <laughs> and and that hit me like a hammer. Like I was like, Holy cow! Like I had goosebumps. I was like, "She's nailed it." My brain went immediately to. Cause I always remember this through your book. Is like anxiety is saying to me, "Lee, what do you need to do next?" Yeah. And when you went to shame, what came up for me was my moral. I I have a part of me. If do you ever we if, do you, um, follow Richard Schwartz and internal family systems?
0: Oh yeah, I yeah. yeah I know him yeah.
1: So I, I have a I have a part of me that has scrupulous morals and ethics. So there's a there's a part of me that in the past has done has cr- crossed the line in order to keep me safe. And then there's another part of me then that the looks at that part and apps is, is disgusted with it. And the way that it responds is I I have to make sure that I'm never morally and ethically out of line. Um, and that that goes towards. Showing up as a father, there's certain moral and ethics around that. Showing up as a husband, and then particularly with my other businesses, you know, like when I'm on location and I'm shooting, it is really difficult for me to show up and do coaching programs for uh, and do my weekly group coaching because it's I just I'm exhausted and I don't have the time, but I'm still trying to do that. You now really making me understand where that's coming from my next thing that I need to do is just tell everybody in all my communities, I'm out for a month. You can manage fine without me. I will give you all your love and attention when I get back and just be okay with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, um, someone asked me this question when I had a lot of, a lot of like shaming contracts or, or parts where I was just very, very, very hard on myself. And someone asked me if anybody treated you the way you treat yourself, Would you call the police? (laughs) I think. Oh, that was yeah. You got me. (laughs) Okay. So you know, I had to sort of cool my jets on that part of you know that perfectionism and high, high, high expectations.
1: Yeah. But it's really it's really interesting because I I don't align with the belief that I'm hard on myself. So when I hear that I'm hard on myself, it doesn't it doesn't feel true. But at the yeah. same time, if I am trying to do a million type di- million things, if all my parts are trying to like get control and do the right thing, then yeah. of course, I'm being hard on myself because I am in, I am creating like this is really important, isn't it? The work is not creating the anxiety, the overwhelm, the panic and the shame. Like that's the work, nothing out there is doing that. It's all happening in here. So I am being hard on myself. I'm just not aware, and I don't frame it in that way, I guess. Yes.
0: Well, I also think being surprised suddenly by something where it actually is sort of impossible—it's impossible to do the things that you listed, right? Yeah, it's that it's not a thing that could happen, right? But your anxiety is so ramped up by the by the deadline that just changed, Mm. just suddenly and shockingly, right? And so now your shame is like, what can I do to help you become perfect, right? So the whole you know the whole organism is very. Was very heightened. Mm -hmm. And so it can help for me when I get, I call it being on the anxiety train. It's (laughs) like that train's going and I forget to eat. I forget to take care of myself. I forget everything. And so I just have to sort of talk to my anxiety and talk to my shame and say, look, what can a human do? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a human member. Remember that? I, I used to be a human before this happened. So, yeah, it's just like lots of kindness, lots of kindness toward myself as a hardworking person, right? Mm. I can get it done. I can, but I don't need to. So I like your thing and say, I'll love you. I'm going away for a month. I'll love you up when I get back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like there's, I think, I think there's another aspect of this. I don't know about your professional opinion here, but again, I was talking to my wife about this before. So in the past, my wife has said quite consistently, oh, What's the matter with you? You like to fight. And I would respond from rationality and logic and go, Well, of course, I don't like to fight. That's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> I've learned that I do have this, this part, this aggressive pattern where I fall into anger to when I feel unsafe and I, and I, and I do want to fight. And, and there's that, there's that part that, like, the anger and the anxiety, there seems to be a link there almost like, and busyness is another part of that where I feel, although I feel uncomfortable, I somehow thrive. It's almost like I'm addicted to the busyness. I'm addicted to the adrenaline. I'm addicted to boom, 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 boom. And then when, it, when I calm down, I, I get agitated. I get panicked. I feel unsafe. I, I don't know what to do. And, and so my, my work recently is being in that stillness. Having dinner with a family and not getting up to do the dishes, just sitting there, and you know, so is is there is there a, a functionality here where I'm actually becoming addictive, addicted to anxiety and overwhelm and panic and freakinish behavior, do you think?
0: Well, uh, what I'm hearing is a different emotion. A lot of times people stay in activity because there are two emotions, sadness and depression. That don't have really a voice in that forward movement. So mm. I'll do that too. When it's time for me to pay attention to my depression, I'll start like, okay, now I've got to go polish the doorknobs. You know, like now I've got to reorganize the cabinets. Um, that sadness asks you to let go of something that's not working anyway. But there's a kind of um, there's a kind of a boundary dropping and a softness that comes with that. That sometimes in the modern world we don't really have a lot of time for softness. Depression comes forward when there's something in your life that isn't working, and it's a reality check. It's a reality check, and many of us don't want a reality check. We want to mm. keep doing what we're doing, so we can move more into doing activity, get it done. You know that that dot, dot 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 always moving, so that the sadness and depression can't catch up. Right. And mm-hmm. so for a lot of people, for instance, they might say, well, if I cry, I'm never going to stop. That would be a sign of someone who's using activity to avoid this letting go. And so anything you can do to sit in sit and relax can help the sort of the influence of those emotions have act upon you. Mm. Right? So you don't have to actually go cry or move into a depression, but you can, you can sort of let let go. And so this idea of you're just sitting and you're not doing the dishes is you, you sort of, you know, you felt your way into the emotions that were trying to support you. Nicely
1: done. Nicely done. Uh, you're you absolutely bang on again. <laughs> like I, <laughs> this is a lovely, so you are an emotional miracle worker. So. <laughs>
0: No, the emotions are. The
1: emotions are. (laughs) But what I like is your ability to. So, in the first instance, you spotted shame. I didn't spot it. Yeah, and I I actually think I'm getting more attuned to my emotions. Um, (laughs) And in the second example, you spotted depression, and I didn't spot it. So I'm aware that I am. I'm aware that depression is a is a. hmm, How can I put this? I'm aware that depression is a part of me. So I'm aware that I get depressed, but it's 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 I would say low-grade depression. So if if uh if a 10 out of 10 ends you end up in a psych ward, uh my depression is around five, six, you know, like I, I feel it, I feel odd, I feel out of sorts, I don't understand what's wrong with me, but I know something is wrong with me. But I never connected busyness to it. I've also recently had a, a really someone really close to me really suffering with depression, and I've really struggled knowing how to show up for them. So I'd really love you to talk a little bit more about your views on depression, if you would, and maybe I'll have some questions on it.
0: It's a beautiful emotion that... Now, depression, the emotion is different from depression, the sort of me- mental illness uh, uh, situation. I work with what's called situational depression, which is depression that tracks to a situation that you may or may not be able to affect but your depression is telling the truth about a thing this is this is a depressing thing right and so your depression is telling the truth different forms of depression major depression postpartum depression those need more care but with situational depression you can address the situation in some way so i just want to make sure that we we have mm-hmm. we're talking about a different thing
1: so are depression? you saying are you saying, sorry to interject there, are you saying for yeah. somebody listening that one of the key things is to get that depression diagnosed? It's
0: possible. If it's situational and you can you can identify it, right? Then there's something you can do. But if you're just walking along and all of a sudden you're hit by a huge wave of depression and you're right that's go take care of that, right? Go take care of that. Mm-hmm. But in many mm-hmm. cases, the things that we do for situational depression will help other forms of depression, but I don't want to say, you know, no, throw away your medication. Don't medication can be really important. Yeah.
1: right, right, okay. okay.
0: But depression comes forward. I call it ingenious stagnation that it comes forward and pulls your energy away when the way you're going or the things you're experiencing are not going to turn out well. Right, depression is like no, and I think that's for me is that's where my anxiety comes in. I'm like, no, you can't tell me no because I'm going to go do this and that and that. You don't, you're not the boss of me. And depression says, well, we'll just see, won't we? (laughs) So, (laughs) So befriending my emotions is a really important thing instead of like having my dukes up and fighting. But depression, the question we have for it is, where has my energy gone, and why was it sent away? And I think a lot of times people ask themselves a the question of depression, which is, why am I such a failure? You know, like they, they take that moment to beat themselves up. Hmm. And for me, I've always noticed that depression has an intelligence in it, that if I'm feeling depressed now, I'll go, okay, something's going on. All right, what, all right, what are you trying to tell me about? Because sometimes my busy life will be going at such a pace that I, I go right past the thing that was never going to work. Yeah. When I was writing the, I I wrote a book called Embracing Anxiety. And as I was writing it, I became more and more confused. And then I dropped down into a depression and I just kept trying to go. And then I finally sat with the depression and said, you know, where's my energy gone? Why was it sent away? What what are you trying to tell me? And it turned out there was a part early in the book that was never going to work, that Mm -hmm. needed to go. But I don't know if you've written long pieces but you just you go you keep mm. going mm. and there was something there that was wrong and so I finally was like oh thank you
1: yeah
0: <laughs> right? and then I got up but depression's always pointing to something important and on my website actually it just I just published it today there's something called a depression inventory so you can go through and see is it health? Is it job? Is it this? Is it that? And these are things you can address, well, to the extent that you can. But to know that your depression isn't a sign of um, mental illness, that it's saying something specifically, even postpartum depression is saying your hormones are out of whack, right? Major depression is saying something's going on in your physiology that needs to be addressed, right? It's it's a message rather than a commentary on your moral fiber or something, Mm -hmm. right? So it's to listen to that message. Um, I grew up with, uh, with severe major depression and lots of suicidal ideation. And I thought my life would be great if this depression was gone. Everything in my life would be perfect if this damn depression would go away. And it turned out, no, the depression was protecting me from things in my early life that had been severely depressing right mm-hmm. you know early trauma that was so kind of out of you know off 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 the hook that my little organism couldn't handle it and so depression was something that was trying to take me back there and try to ha- just see if we could fix it see if we could do anything right but yeah so depression is is uh it's it's something that in the modern world we don't have time for and sometimes depression has to get quite intense you know, before we will actually turn toward and say, okay, I'm depressed.
1: Becoming ambivalent around our alcohol use is confusing, uncomfortable, and downright terrifying. Alcohol is so embedded in our life that we can't imagine our life without it. And at Strive, we get that. So why not take one step at a time, starting with diving deep into our book, The Strive Method, Control Alcohol for 30 Days Before It Controls You for the Next 30 Years. Head over to www.thestrivemethod.com to purchase and receive a Santa sack full of freebies today. What uh, I know, this is obviously very individual, but um, is there any advice that we could give to people in a general way if, if you are feeling depressed? We are. It is saying like, and we are asking those questions. Where Where is our why haven't I got no energy? And where's it gone? Um, yeah. What are what what should we be doing in that moment? Do you think? Oh, I should. But what could we do in that moment too? What is the depre- what is the call like? What what is depression asking us to do? Oh.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it's understanding something intelligent inside me has something to say. And mm. you know, like with the book, I, I was getting depressed, and instead of saying, you know, my me- my mental health is draining away, to say this, depre- you know, depression. Depression is the reality check it's going to tell me about something that's wrong so to listen to it and see what it is that's wrong rather than you know a lot of people would be like i just want to be happy and happiness says wait a minute there's nothing to be happy why are you asking me Mm. (laughs) like i was resting because there's nothing to be happy about right now so yeah there's a lot of running from depression you know into activity into happiness into you know, okay. any kind of displacement activity that people can
1: think of. Yeah. So, so for me, if I was to, if I was to just calm down, listen to my depression, slow down, tap into it and say, okay, what is it you want to tell me? And it's telling me you're not happy with your relationship with your wife right now. Then that is the place that I need to go and say, okay, what is there for me? How am um, how am I not showing up? What am I worried about? What are the anxieties? What is wrong with my relationship? Is there anything wrong with it? So the depression is acting as a signal to say go look at something and go fix it. And then when you do that, I'm going to go away and I'll come back when you need to fix something else.
0: Yeah and then I''ll I'll, I'll go to the background and keep an eye on everything. But yeah and you know in the first time that I worked with my depression, it took me you know quite a while because I had been ignoring it for many mm. okay decades. But now I can feel slightly depressed and go, okay, what is it? Yeah. And then within three to five minutes, I've identified the thing. And then I don't need to go into a deeper and deeper and deeper depression. And for someone like me who tends towards suicidal ideation, catching depression early, you know, when it's when it's a soft place of just kind of despondent, kind of low, that sort of thing is so important because I can catch depression earlier in its trajectory and address it. Okay. I'll, dr- I'll address it here. And then there won't be the need for me to drop further, 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 further. So for me, it's been a, obviously a life-saving thing mm-hmm. to learn how to identify and articulate with depression because, you know, I live for so long and the are really the depths of it that I didn't even know that there were steps down, right? And that I could actually, in out in the sunlight, I could see this step and it would be okay. I wouldn't have to end up, you know, in the seven layers of hell, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> where I had a lovely apartment. And I wanted to say something I did add to the language of emotions is an emotional vocabulary list and to understand the l- levels of emotion. So, if I'm in anger, I could be enraged, which would be, you know, anger 10, or I could be slightly peevish, which is anger two, right? Mm-hmm. To, and to also, if there's an emotion that you tend to go on a bender with, catch it earlier, yeah. you know, catch yourself at peevishness before you go into rage. Not that rage is bad. Sometimes you need to rage. But if it's, for instance, if I always go to rage, if whenever my anger comes up, it's anger 11 out of 10, that's some work that I need to do to begin mm. to understand anger at its softer presentation and deal with it. Then uh, just like with depression, find it when it's soft, deal with it then, and then you don't need to go further. You know, then you've listened to the message of that emotion and you don't need to go on a bender anymore.
1: Yeah. That, that was a, that was a really, a real game changer for me in the book actually. And then going onto your website uh, because my main one is anger. And then I was able to, See, I, I got into the habit of setting alarms every two hours to check in with myself to see how I was feeling. And and then I would I would have this list in front of me and I'd be like, Oh, I've been a little bit sarcastic and you know? oh, I'm feeling a little bit irritated. And I literally would go out in the garden. This is when I was living in California, and I would just take my shoes and socks off, get into the dirt, and then I would release that anger either into my boundary or into the ground. And then I would come back into the house and and I and I felt a lot better versus ignoring it. And I, and that's what something like reading something like language of emotions does is it's one of those many, many tools that raises your self-awareness about something that largely was like just an automated act that I never even gave any thought to. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm getting angry with my wife and my kids and I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I'm an angry person. I'm not, I'm not understanding that there are different layers to it and I can catch it earlier to prevent chaos. I mean, So that that was, that was like really great for me. What about advice to people living with people with depression? What, what is the best way that we can show up for somebody who is depressed?
0: I think depending on the type of depression is, I know for me, dealing with severe depression, I became very isolated because people don't want to hear it, Mm -hmm. right? They're, They're afraid that it's catching, Right. Or, But it can be very difficult to live with a depressed person because the energy tends to be so low or it goes high, or, you know. The, so, I would say taking care of yourself in relation to a depressed person. Finding small ways to bring some, without without overdoing it so that you drain yourself, but finding ways to bring some delight into that person's life, whatever. Just something silly, something... Mm something sweet something loving it's hard because you sort of have to be hypervigilant about your own mental health about your own depression because depression can be sort of catching if you if you know it's which is why i isolated myself i didn't want to hurt people or bring them down but you know setting good boundaries making sure that you get enough sleep and you are eating and you are exercising and you are caring for yourself because we're a social species, we're very empathic, and we pick up on what the other is feeling. So, yeah, it's 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 difficult. And I think of all the people who had to live with me while I was in the the depths of it, mm. and they did help by bringing just little sweetness. You know, mm. just I got you, I got you some jelly beans that are in the flavor of this. You know, like that was it. <laughs> Just tiny things because the person is going through so much internally Yeah, and sometimes those external, you know, touch points, but also I've got someone in my life who's very, very depressed, uh, in my family and I check in, I say, well, so how's your depression? How's, how's your depression feeling today? What are you hearing from it? Mm -hmm. So that they can talk about it instead of, I hope you're feeling happy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I hope. Are you feeling good? Are you feeling good? So I'm continually or trying. to... you just oh, you just ignore it. Yeah, yeah. It's or like, or it's, yeah, like when, it's
1: like when someone dies. It's like when someone dies, and
0: you're yeah. just going to
1: ignore the fact that the person you've been with for 50 years has died. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how do you feel that they died? And <laughs> wow, yeah. I'm glad you've asked because, like, everybody's <laughs> kind of pretending it didn't happen. I mean, just before we flip over into grief. I mean something you said then like really really uh, touched me and I I think it's important that I share this is um you know I've been in relationships with people who have been depressed yeah and in those moments there are moments when I've been completely lacking in self-awareness right like I am I am not aware of my emotions and my feelings and I am not conscious I am just An automon. And in those moments, I can, I have been activated and triggered, and parts of me have come up and have been very angry and frustrated at the person who is depressed when I deeply love them. And then this part has just made things worse. And then when I've had self awareness and I've had healing and I've done all that work, still those parts can get activated, but at least now I can be aware of them. And I can either try to stop them before they put their foot in it, or I can at least get back into integrity once they are putting their foot in it. So to, in simple terms, I can be in a relationship with someone who's depressed, and rather than show up and delight them, I can actually show up and get angry with them, which then creates a whole new mess. And I've had to have a lot of <clears> compassion <throat> with myself over that, but, but, but to recognize Oh, the work is not that person. The, the work is here. Like I have work to do in order for me to be able to show up for this person who I love deeply. And I just wanted to share that because I think it's super important.
0: Yeah. I also notice a lot of times people would treat me the way they would treat their own depression. They would try to repress me
1: right. or shame yeah.
0: me or, you know, something like that. Get with yeah. it. You need to get out and run around the block. Have yeah. you tried exercise? I'm like, no, tell me all about the simplest thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean is like, yeah, I think I think being with someone who's suffering is you really have to be on your game. Mm. Right? To make mm. sure that you're not just throwing your shadow onto them. Yeah. Of, you know, um I I I pull myself up by the bootstraps, you know, and all the ways that you treat yourself. Um this person in my family who's dealing with depression has been under treatment for 10 years and nothing's worked. So it's called refractory mm. depression and the specter of this person's suicide is real, right? So it's, we're in a sort of a preemptory grief ritual all the time. Yeah. Mm. So, mm. so that's kind of a, a deeper level of working with depression, but, but, you know, we, we bring them treats. We, we, send them videos we thought were really funny um we're available to talk right mm. it's just it's like it's like next level depression care <laughs> <laughs> we we were like we want tie let's have tie tonight you know and just just while the person's here yeah just try to make it whatever we can yeah mm.
1: thank you for that and Keeping into this high level, high energy, super, super happy podcast <laughs> that we're doing at the moment. <laughs> no, <laughs> really important stuff. People. Let's
0: crush those talk of Let's... depression and grief. <laughs> we don't want to do that. Um,
1: I do want to talk about suicide, you know, like, um, because mm-hmm. I have built a community of people who suffer from alcohol addiction, and mm-hmm. there was a, um, there's been times in my coaching when I've been coaching somebody and they've been having uh, suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and I've I've had to say hey you know this is just recognize that it's not my area of expertise that mm-hmm. you need an extra layer of professional help here but there's there's also before that happens there's a it would really help to have a greater understanding of awareness of why it's showing up, what the message is, why it's there and how, if you're in that space, what you could do about it. And also when you're around people who are having those experiences, how you can best support them. So if you could talk a little bit, I mean, start with like, what is it and why is it there? Because it's obviously, it's obviously there for a reason.
0: For many people, suicidal ideation gives them a sense that I can get out of here. I can get out of this situation, right? So it can be like a a stress reliever to be able to say, I can end it, which means I have complete control over my life. When suicidal ideation would come up for me, it was clear that I didn't have complete control over my life, right? I didn't have control. So there's a way that that suicidal ideas can be very soothing, right? Just like I could get out. I have an out here. So there, I wouldn't want to take that away from people, but what we find in the suicide hotlines is they just ask the person, how did you get here? Like, how did you get to this place? And usually there's like 19 things that are going wrong that are just awful and they're just not livable. And just being able to say that will often lift that kind of suicidal depression and to be able to kind of look around and say, yes. Everything is really, truly horrible. It's really bad. And then the part of you that can make plans and, you know, fix things can sort of come back online. But if you just sit there and you don't talk about it, it's going to get darker and deeper and more and more hopeless, right? So reaching out is really important. Reaching out is really important because there's a part of you that needs to speak about what's happening, right? And when, when, when I'm depressed, when I'm feeling suicidal, when I'm depressed, I isolate. When I'm feeling suicidal, I super isolate, right? Super, super isolate. You cannot mm-hmm. find me. So that is not the way to go with that, right? It's important to reach out. And we have free crisis hotlines everywhere in the world, right? You just pick up the phone or text, right? And so talking about it is really important. But I call the suicidal urge the darkness before dawn, and the questions that I've learned to ask is what behavior or situation must end now and what can no longer be tolerated in my soul, right? So it's a very serious emotion. And when it comes forward, when I feel any kind of suicidal urge now, which tends to be, I'd like to not be alive right now, right? I mean, it's kind of funny. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And then I say, okay, what's happening that needs to What I ask my suicidal urge now is what needs to die, right? What do I need to kill? It's not just what needs to end or what do I need to step away from? Something needs fire. It needs to be killed with fire, right? Mm. And so I have a practice called burning contracts that, you know, helps me to, to work with that. But to know that a part of my soul is saying not just no, but hell no. And in this kind of modern world, we don't a lot of times get to say hell no. We say, okay, I guess so. You know, like we don't have a lot of agency around what's happening to us in many cases. And so it's the part of us, hell to this life, to this poverty, to this loneliness, to this trauma, to this, you know, it's like hell no. And being able to say that, like calling a suicide hotline, all of a sudden, the part of you that can address things and fix things can wake up and go, oh yeah, hell no. We don't want that, right? It can be funny once you step into that, that you have the power to end something forever. Mm-hmm. You have the power to kill something with fire. And it's the part of, for me, it was the part of me that was silenced when I was little, you know, and had no choices whatsoever, none and it was part of me that was taking my choice back. And sadly, for some people, that choice is actually moving towards suicide. And of course, that creates such despair and horror in the people left behind. Hmm. But to be able to say, I have the energy right now to end my own life, and it is hard to kill bodies. You know, on TV, they shoot you once and then you die. That's not how, that's not how it happens. Bodies spend most of their time trying to stay alive. So when I was in my late twenties, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to do that. And I thought, well, hold on. I walked up a street and it was a complete, it was in San Francisco and there was no sun anywhere. And it was just a very cold cement street. And right in between the cracks of the sidewalk, there was one little flower that came out. And I was like, life goes on. Life Mm -hmm. will make itself known in a complete, you know, moonscape of, and I said, okay, so if I have the energy to kill myself, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that energy and I'm going to stay alive for six months. I'm going to fix my shit, right? And I was like, yes. So I had, you know, I was young. I didn't quite understand the suicidal urge yet, but I took that energy of being able to say hell no and end a life. And I decided to do something with it. I'm going to fix my life. Six months was passed. I didn't even realize it happened. Right. I was like, I was so into fixing what was wrong that, uh, you know, I didn't even know what time it was, but it was just really interesting. And that little flower in that sort of moonscape helped me understand that life will find a way and that the energy it takes to end a life, that's a tremendous amount of energy. I could use it on something else. And I always had that out in six months. You can, you can die. Right. Right. But in six months, I didn't even care about it.
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, "Whatever, I'm doing work here." Yeah,
1: that's beautiful. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. I, I, that's that's really beautiful, and I know it's really personal, so I really appreciate it. You know, thank you. And how, how about show, what what should we do if somebody close to us confides in us that they are feeling suicidal? Because it sounds like one of the first things to do is to Welcome that and receive that and 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 make them feel like they're seen and they are heard and that they matter and that they have the space to be able to vocalize what's going on for them. And but then the question comes up in my mind, and then what? I, I there's yeah. a, there's this almost like um, <clears throat> it's almost like a selfishness comes up with me in this where I really want to show up and do the right thing. I, I'm a do the right thing guy. I want to do the right thing for the person in front of me who's really suffering. And then there's a part of me that's worried if I do the wrong thing and death occurs, oh my God, how am I going to live with myself? So this rigid part of me is like seeking to do the right thing, which I know is, it sounds, probably sounds so terrible because it's so, so like me and not the other person who needs me. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I'm sure I'm not the only person on this planet who has those thoughts and feelings. So what's, what's your words of wisdom there?
0: Well, I mean, it is, you you could be out of your lane, right? Mm. You could be out of your lane. And one of the nice things about crisis hotlines is you can call as the friend of the person Mm. and they can tell you what to do.
1: Wow. Right. So they can
0: support you because it's a lot. It's a lot to try to support someone, letting people talk. I had um, in my earlier life, I had a suicide friend, someone who understood suicidal ideation. And we would just call each other and I would go, all right. Suicide. Homicide is a crime. Is suicide. You know, like we would just get into it. We would talk yeah. about it. And then we'd end up laughing and laughing. So, I had sort of a friend who was my crisis line and I was hers. Mm-hmm. And we both lived to tell the tale. But what we did was, it was almost like in, in meetings of, of groups of people who are dealing with addiction, for them to say, I am an addict, it removes the shame, right? The, this overwhelming shaming message of you can never tell anybody that you're an addict. And everyone says, Hey y'all, I'm an addict too. So it was kind of that thing. It's like, I'm suicidal. And she would say, Hey y'all, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So it normalized it and it took away this sense of overwhelming you know, failure as a human being to have thoughts of suicide. Mm. So it can, it can help to have a suicide friend.
1: <laughs> a suicide friend. <laughs> so you're not going to
0: go and commit suicide together. <laughs> you're just going to talk
1: the hell out of it. I've never, never heard of that one before. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I did once have a, I was in a coaching program and, um, one of the coaches reached out to me and said that, uh, they, they'd been sober for like like a decade or something. But they had started to have pangs of wanting to return to using and Mm -hmm. that they'd heard me on my podcast and see me coaching because in the coaching program, we had to coach people and be, and we had to coach and be coached while hundreds of people watched us do it. And they, they, they felt a connection with me as a coach. And they, Mm -hmm. they wondered if I would get on a call with them in order for me to help them figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I feel like so many different emotions. I feel a sense of worry and concern and sadness um, and hope for this person. I feel excited for myself that I'm going to not just to help somebody uh, change their life possibly, but I'm getting a new client, which is like my business and I'm going to make some money and all that kind of stuff comes up. And then we're like, yeah, let's make it happen. And then the next day I wake up and he's killed himself. And I did the the, the, the first thing that came up was how, how dare you think about him as a client Lee? Like, like, and I started to beat myself up a little bit and why didn't you get to him sooner? Why didn't you just in that moment when he was talking about relapse, why, why didn't you just coach him there and then? And there was a lot of like judgment came up and, And I had to find a way, and I did, to be okay with that and to not uh, take on that responsibility and to move on. There's a part of me, whenever there's been tragedy in my life, that wants to stick. It's like dog shit. I I want it on my shoe. Like I I don't want it to go away. And then there's another part of me that's like, no, I I need to get rid of this. And it's okay to move on with your life. Uh, Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know if there's, uh, there's people on here who have had suicide touch them and different emotions come up then for them because someone has died. And they, I mean, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. And don't know if you have any comment on that.
0: If someone were to come with you again, would you coach them right away in, in the same situation?
1: No. No. I mean, it, I had no idea. Like, it, it did not, I did not feel that there was, that I did not feel, I didn't connect. A decade away, relapse is is possible to 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 suicide. I just didn't connect it. I think if somebody comes to me today and says I'm having uh, suicidal thoughts, then my reaction and my behavior today is very very different. But no, and 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 I think it's because that incident of someone coming to me and say they're feeling relapse is so common in my life in the job that I do. Yeah. that I that I I just wouldn't be able to function, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would be stopping and coaching everybody for nothing. I'd be like, okay, come on, come on, come on. And that's a really difficult part of like what I do is seeing people who are really struggling and having to say, I can't help you, but here is someone who can or here is a resource that can, and then hoping that nothing happens. It's almost like, um, do, you remember, do you remember what Schindler's list? Yeah right at the end when he loses his shit and he's like, I could have sold this pen and saved another one. Right. There's a part of that sometimes where I go into, it's almost like, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I deal with it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I deal with it. I, I wouldn't say it's a, a major problem, but I deal with it and I just put it out there because maybe somebody else uh, feels the same way. And And I just, I do, I have another question and because I know we're running out of time and i and I just, I wanted to ask you this because it's it come up recently with a client. Have you ever dealt with people who have thoughts of harming or killing somebody else? And how does that, what emotion, is there an emotional connection there? Like is the person. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Hatred, which means we're in the shadow, right? Rage, which means we're in panic uh so they may feel that their life is threatened often and this would be true with hatred as well as uh, when we're in hatred if we don't know how to work with it right mm. we'll want to we'll want to injure the person who's holding our shadow material rather than oh it's time for me to work on my shadow material <laughs> okay uh, here's something here's something inside me yeah i think are you i mean people can talk about it but not do it. But are you a, are you a mandated reporter of things like that? No,
1: this, 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 this was a, um, I'm not going to do it, but I just had the thoughts and the person yeah. who it was connected to wasn't, there There was no malice towards them. Yeah. It was, it was thoughts that came up that scared the person And they were like, what the heck is going on? Do I need to like check myself into a mental hospital? Do I need to report myself? Like these, these thoughts were coming up. And I was just thinking, I wonder if there's an emotion attached to that that needs to be explored. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can do it imaginally. I've, I've done that. I've, I've blown some people up.
1: Oh, so funny. So funny. That, this, this is another this one actually where I was I was like, okay, this and I'm, I'm in the wrong lane. But <laughs> like I I'm, I'm, like it was like I'm in I'm in the wrong lane and um it, it become like how can I I I don't have any answers and I don't have a scooby-doo what's going on here, but I, this person needs, needs some help and needs some love and needs some, some time and to be able to go through it. Cause, cause, yeah. cause there could be a lot of shame attached to that as well. Right. Like is like, how do you talk to somebody about the fact you want to kill somebody? I mean, it's not something that you talk about every day, is it? <laughs> so having somebody who allows you to have that, that conversation is really important.
0: Yeah. I worked in a, a prison um, teaching a cappella singing. To As men do. who are mostly lifers, because I thought acapella singing is one of the most beautiful ways to be with people, right? To sing harmony. And I thought they have to be with each other. So let's teach them a way to be with each other. That's lovely. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful time. And I spent two years in the prison. And one of my best friends was a man named uh, Gray Eagle. And he he and I would talk when the younger men were like fooling around and thinking up harmonies, you know we would just talk about really deep stuff and I found out at one point that um he was in he was a lifer for, for the serial murder of women wow. and at first I went. Oh, shit. And then I thought of Gray Eagle and how much I liked him. And I was like, you know, there's a couple of people I wouldn't mind killing. And that <laughs> was it. It was like, because I knew yeah. him. I mean, it turned out his first his first murder was a mistake. And then he kind of ran from there and kind of kept going. But um, But yeah, it was just really interesting to be able to say, yeah, I could have killed some people. I didn't.
1: You didn't. But, but. I
0: could have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: and, you know <laughs> that like whenever you read, whenever you're reading about the, you know, the really good writers and thinkers around the human condition, you, you, you you are, there is a part of you that's like, okay, there's a lot of shit going on in the world that is pretty nasty and they're just human, <laughs> you know, that, you know, yeah, it's uh, important that we keep a, a, a key, a, a keel on this, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. so
0: he remained my friend he remained, he remained my friend, friend and I wasn't scared of him yeah <laughs> well,
1: what a what a what a way what a what a what a way to end a, a killing <laughs> end? <laughs> we went through we went through the whole gamut of depression suicide and then killing people I love it <laughs> when, when is when is the revamped version of language of emotions out June you said right June 27th Mm, 27. And what else are you, I mean, what else are you getting involved in and projects you're working on? Um, are you open for coaching that kind of thing for anybody listening?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I teach a licensing program in my work and we are, we are in the middle of one now. And I have an online uh, learning site called empathy Academy where people can come and take classes every month. And uh, I have a number of people who, who do my work it's called uh, consultation and uh, it's a very unusual process not unusual like weird but we work directly with the emotions so that you can understand yourself better right so
1: basically you've you've franchised yourself into a load of brilliant coaches you can now go out and and do what you do
0: Yes, I have an empire
1: an em- <laughs>
0: <laughs> of really sweet people. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I well, I mean, come on. I mean, that's super smart, right? Because you have the potential, where well, you already have for your book, to touch so many people's lives. I, I, I'm an example, right? So like, how many times have I used burning contracts in my coaching work and seen yeah. people just absolutely blow away demons that have just plagued them for decades? And And then I go and tell somebody else, go get this book. So, hey, let's end by me just giving my uh, amazing gratitude and appreciation for how much good and how many lives you've likely saved in the world that you don't even know about. And I just want to honor you for that and say thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do, too.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank... Uh, you guys and girls, for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review the podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today, okay? So thank you for listening and thank you in advice advance for that piece of service also want to thank our producer stan um stan is still currently in the ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now okay apart from him so everybody send out your prayers and your love stan we love you thank you very much for everything you do here for you out there if you are starting to think about contemplate Uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol you do not have to do this alone yes you drink alone but you don't have to stop alone okay and if alcohol is not your thing but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life the ego is getting in the way too much so you're not happy with the way life is going then reach out to us at the method at gmail.com just say lee and just tell me what is on your mind and we'll start to have that conversation Stride Community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community, and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight Cs of self, our core values, right? or creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments, and they're really interesting exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on. This quest, right? Get involved in this challenge, um, and survivors are really finding it exciting. And they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy, in a state of flow, and that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in the life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in the relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay. Much love, everybody.